You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hey, this is Doc G, and today we're going to earn and invest in Veterans Day. Why enter the military? How does it affect you financially? And what does it feel like to be a veteran on Veterans Day? Find out from our community right now. Doug Nordman, Military Dollar, Gwen Mers, Stephen and David Boyer. All of these are my good friends, people I care for deeply, and they all are past or current military, which is strange for me because growing up, I didn't really know anyone who had served in the armed forces or have any friends whose parents had. Well, let me take that back. My father was drafted to Vietnam. He was a doctor, and at the time, he was sent to Thailand, and he came into the Air Force as a captain, and my mom would always joke because she said that he didn't even know how to salute correctly, etc. But really, he was brought into the service for his medical know-how, and he was drafted. And then he died when I was eight years old, so I never really talked to him about his military service. And growing up where I grew up, there just weren't a lot of military people. So I developed this really healthy respect for our military, this idea that they protected and served for us, but it wasn't personal. It was more a distant respect, but no real knowledge. Fast forward years later, and I became part of the personal finance community, especially financial independence, And I met all these great people who were either active or past military. And it really opened up my eyes. And I'm thankful because this Veterans Day for me is different than ones in the past. Because before, it was always this distant, ephemeral respect that I had. But now, I have close friends. And it's a lot more personal. And dare I say... I'm even more thankful than I was before. So I wanted to celebrate Veterans Day in a special way this year, especially on the podcast, because we have a lot of people who are part of our community who are past or current military members. So I put a call out to Facebook and am really excited to have four panelists today who are Earn and Invest listeners, as well as military members And I wanted to spend today celebrating the military 
and talking about veterans and how important they are in our lives on this Veterans Day. So without further ado, I will have our panelists introduce themselves. Well, hi, my name is Anne. I'm a former active duty U.S. Army military physician. I served from 1996 to 2013. That was precedented by my time in ROTC and as a member of the HPSB Health Service Scholarship Program recipient. And I was similar to you. I had no exposure to the military family. My dad, like you, was drafted during Vietnam, but that was uh, before I was born. And so uh, I kind of stumbled on the military in college when the Army sent a letter to people on the dean's list looking for potential scholarship recipients. And I took, I took that bait. Hi, so uh, my name is Brandon Bettis. I am a infantry officer in the Army. I served 10 years on active duty from 2006 to 2016 and then transferred into the reserve. So um, still serving. I'm actually, you mentioned the draft a couple of times. I'm actually in charge of half the state of Arizona for the draft. So if there's ever a draft, then that's when I'll actually go back to work, if you will. So served 10 years, uh, one deployment to Afghanistan. My dad was army. He was special forces in Vietnam. So he kind of planted the bug early in me. 9-11 was my freshman year of college. I almost dropped out of college to to enlist at that time, but decided to go in as an officer and served all around, bounced around. And in 2016, I knew it was time to leave, but I still wanted to kind of keep serving others and keep my service going. So, Well, my name is Dan Huffman, and I've been in the Army as an active duty officer. I serve as a physical therapist. I've been in 10 years, and I'm kind of at that decision point right now as we've talked in the past. So I'm currently looking at transitioning to the reserves to finish out my Army career. And I've had two uh, deployments to Afghanistan, and it really does kind of change your perspective on, I suppose, Veterans Day, if that's the theme that we're going on, just because I've been able to serve with vets from multiple NATO countries, Afghanistan, you know, you just see a whole lot and a whole wide range of how different veterans are treated from different countries and everything. So, yeah, that's my story. Yeah, my name is Stephen. I am active duty, fly aircraft for the Air Force. I'm stationed up in the Northeast and live in Philadelphia. And I am, I'm coming to you from the office today. So I want to dive a little further into how you guys ended up in the military. And I'm really interested in this idea that you, like me, didn't grow up around the military. A lot of doctors, especially, I know this because I went to medical school, become enticed to join the military when they're looking at their student loans and there are some loan payment and loan forgiveness programs they can do through the military. Did you know immediately when you heard about this or did it take a while to settle in this idea of joining the military? Yeah, it was a little rough for me. Like I said, I took the bait, but it was a little rough at first. They sent a letter and, you know, explained that I could be eligible for a scholarship and, on the campus, the ROTC program, just like other departments, you know, they offer classes. So the first thing I did was take an ROTC class to kind of get my feet wet. And, you know, the people I met in that class, the cadre members, they were just fabulous. It was just, <laughs> I guess, looking back, they had their, you know, alternative motives to try to snag me. But 
you know, they were welcoming, they were respectful, it was a professional organization. And the people I met were just really great. And that was my very first experience. And it really never changed over all those years. And so I think just the taste of the ROTC class was enough to get me going. One thing that I learned about myself is as I started to get to know military members, my preconceived notions of what the military was versus what it truly is didn't really align. Did you find the same with yourself, your ideas of what the military was before you joined versus after? A stark contrast, I imagine. I think so. I think, you know, a lot of the exposure I really had was what you saw on the media and at the time was television and TV. And, you know, it is very different. You know, it's not Stripes and it's not uh, Private Benjamin. But the those were obviously, you know, old movies from kind of my time. But it's very, you know, there's a lot of leadership aspects that I think get undervalued. Obviously, the physical fitness is a whole nother aspect, the standards and the uniformity. I mean, there's just so many different things that the military entails. I think it's kind of hard to grasp, but I agree. I think you you don't really understand it until you are in those boots. Branded, it almost sounds like the military was in your blood. So many people do recollect that moment of 9-11 and knew they had that inner drive. Did you mention that your family, your, was your father was in the military too? Yeah, I'm actually um, fifth generation military. So my, my grandfather served, my great grandfather served, my dad served. My dad only served for about three years during the Vietnam era. I say only three years, but he served. So, so growing up as a, as, a, as a kid, I was the only boy in the family. And I would see his military, you know, kind of paraphernalia, if you will. And that kind of sparked a bug. And like most young boys, I played the G.I. Joes and the Cops and Robbers. And it kind of got planted in me. And and actually, I joined the military right out of high school. But due to injury, I was actually forced to leave the military after only three months. And so my dreams were kind of crushed. So I always knew I was going to go back. It was just a matter of how and when. And kind of from the movie Patton, the, the movie Patton in the very beginning, you know, he gives a famous speech in front of the big American flag. And he talks about, you know, you don't want to tell your grandkids that you were, you know, shoveling crap on a farm in Iowa during the Great War. And that's kind of how I felt. I felt like I never wanted to go to my grave not serving my country. So I knew I was always going to go back. It was just a matter of how and when. And I just wanted to, I just wanted to serve. So that was definitely planted with my father. But the more I researched it and, and looked at movies, I was just, I was obsessed. With, with the military. Stephen, I want to use Brandon's word. He said sparked the bug. What sparked the bug in you to join the military? I actually, the, the spark for me was a slightly different activity and the military just paired well with it. And that was flying airplanes. So uh, I got the bug for flying early on. I knew that The Air Force, obviously, was probably one of the best ways to go do that as a profession. And then when I was a freshman in high school, my family took a trip to different parts of the United States. We went to both, I guess all three. We went to West Point, Annapolis, and the Air Force Academy during that time period. And uh, it it was there, kind of on the campus of uh, the Air Force Academy, where I said, yeah, I I think this is what I want to do. So it was as a freshman in high school, and then that kind of lined up 
what I did in high school to get me to that point. But at the end of the day, I actually applied for both the, the Air Force route and the Navy route because I knew both of them. I could fly airplanes for them. And so I, I was I was kind of agnostic. I knew I wanted to be an officer and I wanted to fly airplanes and like whatever pieces of the equation came together to make that happen is, is where I landed. Daniel, Stephen was pretty clear he wanted to fly airplanes. That brought him into the military. When I think of military service, I have to admit the first thing that I think about is not physical therapists. Tell us about how you ended up in the military and how that jibed with your interest in career. Well, Doc, I'll tell you, you take your traditional view of the military and then you see the need for the physical therapists. You know, we got the ground pounders, the infantry all the just very demanding physical intense jobs. And so that's physical therapy is actually a really growing profession within the military and especially the army. So unlike almost everyone else, it seems like I was late to the game. I didn't join until I was 26 and I was already working a different job. And so, you know, I just had the chance to, I was kind of getting burned out in my other job and I had the chance to apply to PT school within the army. My brother was in the Marine Corps at the time, and my other cousin was an Army officer. So it just seemed like the, the right thing to do. It was a good match. As one of those ground pounders, I would say that physical therapists are key. And they're some of our favorite people in the military. Because we can just walk up to them and be like, hey, Doc, I got something going on. So we love the ther- physical therapist. Yeah, Give I am a big air hug. <laughs> <laughs> I imagine, and I wouldn't have even had this conception of doctors in the military. Well, for two reasons. One is my father, and then, of course, the other is MASH. Growing up when I did, how could you not think of doctors and military service having MASH in the background as a little kid on the TV? And Stephen was pretty clear about what field of the military he was looking at, he wanted to fly. And so that naturally pushed him in a certain direction. How did you decide which branch of the military to become interested in? The army was the only one that sent that letter. So like I said, I had little knowledge of the military as a whole, and especially in terms of finding financial means for education. I partly fault my high school for that. I mean, I don't think there should have been a reason why that information wasn't really given to all of us. But they were the first ones. I didn't know anything about the academies looking back. I, you know, I may have even entertained going into one of the academies. But yeah, the army was the first one to send the letter. So I went with that. They offered me a scholarship. And that's the end of that story. Dan, was it the same story with you that what you're trying to do in physical therapy, the army had the best program for doing physical therapy in the military? So the Army definitely has the best program for physical therapy in the Army, but it's because the physical therapy program that the whole military uses is Army run. So we had two Navy and two Air Force people in my class and then 21 Army. So I actually put, I would prefer Navy, but would accept Army. And I didn't know that the Navy had already picked their own people. So here I am in the Army, but it worked out for the best, I would say. Brandon, with your history and all these generations who served, did you go into the military saying, this is going to be my career? This is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life? No, I I, I went into the military. I graduated college with a criminal justice degree. And my original plan was to serve three or four years in the army, get some, you know, ground pounding, kicking doors, blow stuff up experience, and then switch to 
law enforcement. So my original plan was to be like a Phoenix police officer for a few years and then go federal law enforcement. I, I learned throughout my career that that's not as much fun as it sounds in the movies and in your head. And it's definitely a young man's game. And I remember I got, I got home from Afghanistan. And I, t- I sat there and told my wife, I was like, okay, you know, I did everything I wanted to do. I led soldiers. I went to Afghanistan. I got to blow a lot of stuff up. I'm okay leaving if we want to leave now after three years, but I had no idea what I wanted to do. So we ended up staying a little bit longer to do company command and do some other things. And, and it was a good opportunity for us to stay. But I, I had no intention of staying this long. I never thought I'd get to retirement. So now that retirement is on the horizon, it's it's kind of surreal to think that this was not my original plan. I just wanted to go in and, and blow stuff up. So Brandon, I just have to ask, what points made you at 10 years, I guess, what decision points drove you to you know, go out to the reserves? And then you switched careers completely to financial planning. Could you just talk about that a little bit? I feel like I'm identifying maybe with your path. Yeah, good question. So, so when I entered my military service, I set a couple clear goals. I wanted to lead soldiers, I wanted to deploy, and I wanted to earn the Ranger tab. I, I was never able to earn the Ranger tab, but I completed everything else. So throughout those 10 years, you know, I, I led soldiers at the platoon level, at the company level, and then at the battalion level. And then my final assignment on active duty was the old guard which was my dream assignment. Like that was one reason I wanted to go enlisted is because I wanted to be in the old guard. The old guard does ceremonial missions in Washington, DC. They, they bury the fallen at Arlington National Cemetery. They guard the Tomb of Unknown Soldiers. They, they're at the White House. It's very much ceremonial and that's what I wanted to do. And so that was my final assignment. And so at 10 years, I kind of looked up and I said, okay, what's next? And th- this was 2016, the army was drawing down. Promotions were getting a little bit difficult it was one of those things where it's like, I, I don't need to go to the next level. I'm happy leaving the service. Uh, and, and we had two young daughters too, and they were, they were bouncing around the country. So then when it came time to find a new career, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. But along my path, I became debt-free and I learned a lot about personal finance. I started teaching that to my soldiers. So when I, I randomly dropped off an application at a, at a financial services firm, and I started talking to more financial advisors and they painted the picture of being in this industry is another way of serving and helping others. And that really struck a chord with me where I could, I could help others in a different way, not necessarily through service to the country, but service to them and, and helping them with their finances and learning more about it. And I really fell in love with the industry. So, so yeah, if, if I looked back 10, 15 years ago and you told me I was sitting here, what I'm doing today with, with my history and background, I would have just laughed. I'm like, there's no way. There's, it's impossible. But life has a funny way of working things out. And I'm, I'm extremely blessed and happy with everything that's worked out. So, but I would recommend staying in the reserves just because the benefits are great. The, the eventual retirement is great. You can keep one foot in that world that you're used to. So for anyone listening, if they're, if they're in that same situation, I would highly recommend continuing service in a, in a part-time fashion. And it brings up an interesting question. Usually as a physician, I believe you go into military service with a trajectory planned out. How did you know when it was time to leave? Was it something you struggled with or was it at the beginning you had planned to be there a certain number of years to fulfill your duty and then move on? 
Well, because I did both ROTC and the HPSP scholarship, I had a very long obligation. So I had to oh, eight years after my training, which was five internship and residency. So I knew I had a long haul ahead of me that this was probably going to, you know, I'd be in the military quite some time. And so I just kind of embraced it, took the good with the bad. I did meet my husband in the military. I had my son in the military. And at the time when my obligation was done, my husband was lined up basically for retirement. So we kind of left together, one of us retiring and one of us just at the end of my obligation. It was a tough decision, but I think uh, looking back, it probably was the right one because it gave us both then the freedom to be, you know, gone with the military. We both miss it though. We miss it. And sometimes I look back and, you know, maybe I should have stayed in the reserves or a little bit longer, but it all worked out. And I'm very grateful for the experience I had. Stephen, is this your long-term career? I'm hearing Anne talk about missing it as well as her husband retiring, I assume at a pretty young age, which the military affords. Tell us about your career path going forward. I am probably in a very similar situation to Dan. I have about 10 years in, which is the halfway point, especially if you listen to like Grumpus Maximus, he talks about that being kind of the hump of where you start to look around and say, can I do this for another 10? And I'm having that conversation. I'm having that conversation with my wife. I got in thinking that I would do 20 years and do retirement for no better reason than just uh, it seems like a defined path to me that made sense. But as I get to this 10-year point, I am really taking some time to be introspective and say, you know, similar to Brandon, have I done all the things that I, I came here to do? And I think the answer is yes. So then what serves me and my family and in my well-being you know, especially going back to Krumpus's point of kind of that mental well-being, mental, spiritual kind of, you know, internal well-being of, of what serves me and my family best. We are looking at doing something like getting out and going to the reserves. You know, I think pre-pandemic, that was, that was all but just guaranteed. Now, the, you know, the, the, the landscape, the job landscape for pilots has changed. To, to ignore that would be, would be silly, I think. So we're taking a hard look. You know, we haven't really jumped into finances here in this chat, but I will say that the part of the beauty of kind of being a part of this community and, and being a part of the FI community is that that has actually played a role that I did not expect in that decision, which is I have been able to tell my wife, if we get out, that's okay. Like we have the ability to get out and do what we want, take a job that might not be as high paying as an airline pilot. So that was a long answer to your question, but but we're really diving into that well of what would another 10 years look like versus getting out and doing reserves, doing part-time and doing something else that might be completely, completely different, completely different than the military, different than flying airplanes, you know, going and starting some kind of a foundation things like that, that, that we have the freedom to do now. Stephen is referring to the book by Grumpus Maximus. I believe it's titled The Golden Albatross. I yeah. sat down with him for an interview, and that will be out before this episode airs. 
Stephen, a funny thing, I would have thought before we had the conversation that the hardest decision was whether to enter the military or not. But what I'm getting from all four of you is actually, it's a much harder decision whether to leave, which I just, I didn't see that coming. Yeah, I'll say that, again, I'm the person that joined late. And this is really the career that I just say that I never planned on having. But once you get in and you kind of get used to it, you really develop some type of camaraderie with other people who have served. You know, even if we're talking to an Air Force guy and we don't have a Navy person on here or a Marine, but, you know, you just, you have that understood kind of amount of suffering and we we call it embrace the suck. You know, there's a lot of that. And I can just kind of look across the screen. I know you've all experienced it. You know, I've experienced it. And it just kind of connects us. And I think that sometimes it sounds like to me what it, we're all describing is we kind of feel that identity in serving. And maybe it's difficult to transition and continue that service just in a different capacity. You know, like Brandon is a financial planner and is a physician now too, as a pathologist, I believe, right? And so just multiple different lanes to still serve people. And so I think as long as we have that as our, our identity, I think that we have more freedom to stay in or get out. Yeah, I would, I would agree with that and piggyback on it. And I think what a lot of people that are outside the military don't realize is the amount of opportunities that you have within the military. Like a lot of people kind of have this stereotype, if you will, of what military service is. They just kind of see the general picture of it. But once you're in, in the machine, there's a lot of different things you can do. You can change jobs. You can take this assignment. You can do this over here. You know, I'm a perfect example of even within the reserves, like I found a job that I don't have to put on a uniform. I haven't put a uniform on in two years and it's a virtual job, but I'm still getting benefits. I'm still getting, you know, points towards retirement. So there's so much out there and there's so many opportunities. And, and especially for the people that want to join and they do join, especially when it's truly in their heart, it's really hard to kind of take that away. And for me, I think that was one of the biggest things was you're kind of ripping out like what you know, and it, the military is so ingrained in you. And it's funny because one of the one of the reasons I decided to leave the active duty was because the wars in Afghanistan and Iraq were dying down. Like I, I literally joined to go fight. I, I joined to go to combat. And then when I can look on the horizon and say, okay, the combat operations are, are slowing down or they're not the same. That was one of the factors that, you know, I didn't. I'm like, well, I didn't join just to kind of sit behind a desk. I didn't join to, you know, go train and pretend to pretend to go to combat. I joined to go to combat. So when you can kind of see that on the wall, that was one of the factors to leave. But it's different for everybody. But the military, I think that's the biggest thing that people overlook with the military is the amount of opportunities you have to do different things. And so that's what makes it tough to leave is because now you're going into another world to try to figure out a new way of life, if you will. And Brandon is talking about the opportunities and considering a new way of life of our four panelists. You're the only one who has completely left the military. Tell us about your identity and how it changed when you left. Was it hard to leave the military identity? I think so. I agree with the other panelists. I mean, there is that sense of indoctrination you get while in the military that's very hard to strip away from you. And so in the military, I was actually the residency program director, and I stumbled on an opportunity on the outside to be a residency program director in a civilian program. And it was just a very stark contrast on, you know, how things just operate. And I felt very out of control 
in the civilian world. Because in the Army, there's such a structured order and rank and file. And as a lieutenant colonel in the Army at the time, I just felt like, you know, I, I, I had it. You know, I could, you know, get a lot of things accomplished. And it was so flailing on the outside because there's just no order, you know. And I had to get past people's egos that were, you know, inferior to me. And it just, it's, it was very difficult transition. I, it was more so difficult than I thought it was going to be. You know, both Anne and Bryn have spoken about how, how difficult and uh, shocking it can be to make that transition on the military, which is something that probably all four of us here on a fairly regular basis, there's actually a class that the military has you have to go through, at least in the Air Force to exit the military because they want to prepare you for it. One of the things that probably all four of us, it may resonate across all the services. One of the things that I know we've started to speak to the younger troops and soldiers and airmen about is, is being prepared for that option, right? Like don't stay in because it's the only option you have. There are so many opportunities, education opportunities, you know, take the opportunity to go out and start a blog, do something online, start a YouTube channel, right? Like start to dip your toe into that world on the outside and, and get some, some experience with something away from the military, just so that it's not such a cliff's edge when you reach that decision point, it doesn't feel so scary. I think one of the, the best things is to, to have a hard decision about staying with the military family that you know and love, but also being able to pursue some really amazing opportunities and know what that might look like on the other side. You know, like having that difficult decision is the best place to be versus uh, complete fear of, you know, what might be on the other side because you are afraid you don't have any opportunities. Dan, as you're listening to this, are you having angst? I mean, you're talking about leaving the military in the future, not just angst for you, but angst for your wife too, and what it'll mean to both of your lifestyles. Not anymore. Uh, like Stephen talked about, you know, when when you've achieved a level of financial independence, that it kind of doesn't matter whether you stay in or not. It really just frees you up, and it it kind of makes a second hard decision. You know, then it would be the easier decision to just have to stay. But like some other people have hit on here today, if your heart's not in it anymore, or if it's the young man's game and you're becoming an old man, you know, there's, there's someone else who can do the job too. So I think it's part of just accepting that, but then also just making sure you're in a good position to take that leap. So no, I feel like we're very well prepared and ready mentally now and just ready to move on to the next step. And I liked your approach in one of your earlier podcasts when you talked about removing the parts of medicine that you maybe didn't like, keeping what you did. And I've really just felt kind of more of a freedom and a peace about that by being able to keep the reserves, keep that foot in the door, so to speak, be able to still impact soldiers in some way, but then also be able to serve in those new capacities that I can't really serve in right now. Brandon, sum it up for us. In retrospect, what were the best and worst parts of being in the service? The best part was easily being around the guys. I mean, being around soldiers, that hands down, as much as they're a pain in the ass, as much as, as much as like leading soldiers and leading young, young men, and I say men just because I was infantry, so we were, we were all, all male environment, but leading young people like that was so much fun. And it, to see the impact that you have on your life and be around them and, and be in combat with, with these guys that 
you live and breathe by them and, and you're putting your life in their line in, in your hands and, and vice versa. That's, that's easily the, the best part about serving the military. The, the downside of the military, which I'm sure we all see is the bureaucracy of it. It's a, it's a big, it's a big machine. And I remember one of the key, one of the key factors for me, like I was in command at one point and, and we were, we had to stay late at work on a, on a Friday night because the brigade, which a brigade is, they had about um, like 3,600 people. They needed everyone to have an active dental appointment before we could go home. So that, like that right there, like kind of, like was a perfect example of like you look up and you're like, what are we doing? Like, what are we doing? We're, when people think of the military, it's like, hey, you're defending freedom. You're, you're defending America. And we're late on a Friday night because we're waiting for three or four people to make a dental appointment. So there's little things that kind of drain on you over the years. And I think everyone gets to that point where it's like, okay, this is enough. This is enough. It's kind of like your, your FU moment, if you will, of like, all right, I'm done. There's got to be something else better to life. There's got to be something better. But the camaraderie and the, the, the spirit of the military and everyone having the same mission, that's, that's the hardest part to leave. And I think that's what draws a lot of people to the military and makes it tough um, to leave because you kind of lose that sense. In the first part of the show, we talked about how our community members ended up being in the military. After the break, we talk about what it feels like to be a veteran on Veterans Day. But first, this episode is brought to you by Range Rover Sport. Range Rover Sport leads by example. With a visceral, uncompromising, and dramatic feel, this car helps you rise to the occasion. How does it do that? Range Rover Sport has powerful on-road performance and commanding all-terrain capability by combining assertiveness with signature Range Rover refinement. This is the car that redefines sporting luxury. The new Range Rover Sport features advanced cabin technologies such as active noise cancellation and cabin air purification, purposeful cockpit-like driving position, and award-winning PIVI Pro infotainment is at the heart of the experience and provides intuitive control of the vehicle systems. Design your Range Rover Sport at LandRoverUSA.com. Once again, explore and build your Range Rover Sport at L-A-N-D-R-O-V-E-R-U-S-A.com. That's LandRoverUSA.com. You ever feel like you want to invest in something other than index funds? Listen, I get it. Index funds are the backbone of most of our asset allocations. It's how we plan to save and invest for the future. But occasionally you wonder, could I get into venture capital? Could I be a part of one of those big IPOs? It all sounds really interesting. On the other hand, most of us don't have the knowledge or the money to consider being involved in these type of investments until now, introducing our crowd. Wish you were in early on some of the best performing IPOs of 2019-2020? With our crowd, accredited investors have access to invest directly, easily, and most importantly, early. Our crowd investors have benefited from our crowd companies IPOing 
companies like Beyond Meat or being bought out by companies like Intel, Nike, Microsoft, and Oracle. Today, our crowd is sharing an investment in Rewire. Rewire's digital banking services are specifically tailored for international workers to both send money home to their country of origin and bank in their country of residence. And I think this is a really important principle because how many of us have been out of the country, either working or otherwise, and have had issues either sending or receiving money? Rewire reports rapid year-over-year and month-over-month growth in the trillion-dollar global financial services market for international and migrant workers. You can get in early on Rewire and other unique opportunities at rcrowd.com slash EAI. If you're interested in investing, you need to join our crowd. The R Crowd account is free. Just go to ourcrowd.com slash EAI. Stephen, same question to you. Best and worst parts of service. The best parts of service was traveling the world with, you know, close family, men and women that I definitely would call friends and family and, and getting to see just a huge laundry list of countries around the world. The hardest part for me was the, I signed up to do the sacrifices. I signed up to do the hardships, the deployments and everything. But my family, those that love me, they didn't necessarily sign up for that, but they go through the same thing, right? And I think that that is something that that is one of those pieces that you discover later on. When you're young and single, you're not actually thinking about those things. But yeah, the the hardship that it puts on those that are around you, that are those that you love, I think was the hardest part for me. And this is a personal finance podcast, and I would be remiss if we didn't touch at least a little bit on finances A lot of physicians make the decision you did, which is to end up joining in military service and that covers your medical school and residency costs, provides a stipend. Eventually you come out and work, but then you do work for a decreased salary over long periods of time. Tell us about the financial impact of military service. In the end, was it the right thing to do? How did you come out of all this? I definitely think it's the right thing to do. I think there are a lot of military benefits that people forget other than just, you know, that maybe we're making a tad lower salary. You know, our medical care and our pharmacy costs are covered. Uh, A large portion of our salary isn't even taxed. You know, we have childcare is subsidized. I mean, the amount of savings I made in childcare alone is even hard to put a finger on. Buying large items at the PXBX, which is, you know, the the target of the military post at no tax. So there's a lot of little benefits here and there, and that adds up after a long time. So it's not always about salary. And so I think that's somewhat hard sometimes to, you know, put apples to apples when comparing because some people just look at the salary. And so, but, you know, no student loans. I mean, it's fabulous. So right from the get go, when I was an intern, I could start shoving my money away and saving and never look back. Brandon, are the benefits of military service undersold when we're talking about personal finance? Do we not talk about the financial benefits it can bring to young people? Yes, absolutely. I I think I think a lot of young soldiers think they're going to get out and make $100,000 right off the bat. And even if they do, they're, they're not thinking of the, of the military or the, the healthcare costs and stuff like that. I think a lot of veterans discount the veterans benefits as well. 
you know, if you have veteran, you know, disability or if there's something kind of service connected disability, you know, that's tax free using the VA loan for buying a house. There's, there's a ton of benefits. And, and even as a veteran and a financial planner, I'm still discovering a lot of them. Like the, like the government does not do a good job of advertising all the benefits and making it easy to find. And a lot of people will give up on the process, but, but in the service, there's not a, a focus or a benefit or a, emphasis on personal finance there's not an emphasis on education and then even once you leave the service as a veteran there's a little bit more education but there's a lot of red tape you know going back to the bureaucracy piece of it and a lot of people just kind of give up and they, they don't think it's that big of a deal and then they they discount it but but yes the the benefits are, are huge there's almost too many to list when it comes to finance daniel was doing your physical therapy education through the armed services, a good financial move for you in the end? It was an awesome financial move. I got paid a salary to go to the number five ranked PT school in America for three years. So yeah, it was awesome. I would totally do it again. And there's so many other educational benefits, you know, like Brandon was saying, I'm always disappointed if I talk to young people and they're not taking advantage of tuition assistance or any of the other programs. There's so many options for education. Stephen, this episode is airing on Thursday. Veterans Day was Wednesday. How does it feel to be a veteran? How does Veterans Day feel to you being currently in the armed services? That, that's a great question. I, I think it's hard to put the veteran you know, cloak on when you're still in, even though... You know, I've been deployed and and seen combat many times and been back. It's you you get a lot of you know thank yous for your service from people that know you and say yeah thanks I uh, appreciate it and it does mean a lot. But but I I think it is hard for those of us at least for me I should speak for me uh, you know when we're still active duty it's hard to put that veterans jacket on and kind of look back. But but it does mean a lot to me that like. Brandon and Dan said earlier, seeing kind of how we treat veterans and those in service here in our country compared to a lot of other countries, you know, it is really important. It, it's that, that kind of contract, that social contract that over the years we've kind of built up with our, our veterans is really important. And, and I do love to see the events that are hosted and the, the veterans flights and that kind of thing that that the communities around America do for, for those that served, because it is such a small percentage of people that take on a, a big burden. So there is a lot of value, a lot of, you know, community value in that. Brandon, is Veterans Day bittersweet? I mean, I'll freely admit that only in the last few years, as I've gotten to know military people more intimately, have I truly understood the depths of what they've done for us? Sometimes I wonder if it's bittersweet in the sense that maybe every day we should be celebrating our veterans the way that we do that one day of the year. I, like Stephen said, I think, I think this country, especially you know, post 9-11, has done a really good job of, of honoring veterans and recognizing military service. I, I always make it a special point to thank Vietnam veterans and especially World War II veterans. I mean, that, that one's kind of an easy one, but, but especially Vietnam veterans, because what they went through 
I mean, they got spit on at airports and they didn't, they didn't get the, the kind of benefits that we have. So I always make a point to thank them and say, hey, the reason why I have such a good time and so many benefits and no one's ever like talked bad about me is because of you guys. It's because you guys went through that and my generation can now, you know, bear the fruits of that, of that labor that you guys went through. So I always try to make a special point to say thank you to them, you know, because they, it took them so long, so, so many years for them to get it. So, you know, I never kind of experienced that. And, and, and sometimes with military and to Stephen's point, especially when you're in and people say, hey, thank you for your service, it, it becomes kind of a little overwhelming because I used to kind of joke. I'm like, I didn't, I didn't join for you. Like I didn't join to defend freedom. Like the Nazis were not knocking on our door. Like, you know, yes, 9-11 was a, a terrible tragedy, but our, I personally think our freedom has never been threatened since, you know, World War II. So, so I didn't join for you. I joined for the benefits. I joined for me. I joined because I wanted to blow stuff up and prove something to myself. So someone thanking me for that is, is it can be a little weird. And, and sometimes I kind of compete with it too. Like I feel, you know, obviously the military competes a lot and I, I don't like mil- veterans day sometimes because you see all the veterans come out of the woodwork for their free meal at Applebee's. And, and I have a hard time swallowing that sometimes. Cause I, I always wonder, I'm like, okay, what did you really do? Did you, did you deploy, you know, did you do this? Were you, you know, just, you know, turning a wrench in a, in a, in a motor pool somewhere. And not that that's a bad thing, but, a lot of veterans, the veteran community, if you will, kind of eats their own and we kind of compete against each other and make sure that their, their, their service is actually honorable because there's, there's, there's bad apples in the military as well too. So we try to kind of filter that out, but yeah, veterans day in general, I think it's appropriate uh, that one day that's, it's nice to kind of set aside time to recognize it, but I don't think we need it every day. I, I think at that point it'll become a little over overwhelming and, and watered down if you will. And Brandon brings up an interesting point for you. Is Veterans Day awkward or does it feel good? I think especially as the years have gone by and my service is becoming more remote, it's actually more meaningful to me. I think, you know, you just kind of have more time now to reflect on those years and all the great friendships you made and the things you accomplished professionally. And so I, it, I kind of agree with Stephen. When you're in, it's hard to grasp being a veteran because you're you're still in it and you're still playing that game. But once you're out and time has gone on, it is much more meaningful. And you know, I still get a lot of exposures in the way that you know I get my medical care at the VA. So even though I have access to a lot of great medical care in the community, I choose to use the VA services. One, it's my benefit, but two, you know, those are my people there. You know, the people walking down the halls are the people that, you know, I served alongside with. So it makes me comfortable there. And, you know, I think it's a great way to honor those people as well, just to, to still remain around them. So Dan, if I am an 18-year-old coming out of high school thinking about military service, what do you tell me? And I think I think two things. I think if you know that you want to go to college, I think try to go an ROTC route and get that free degree, then go ahead and serve as an officer. But if you're not sure what you want to do, and if you just don't have the means to go to college right away, then I definitely recommend just enlisting in the Army. 
an enlisted soldier at 18 could use tuition assistance, get a free bachelor's degree, get out in four or five years, have the GI Bill and get their master's or doctorate all for free. And it really doesn't take that much. Plus, they get some great job experience. So, you know, there are just so many benefits. My brother enlisted right out of high school. He got out at 22 years old, had almost $60,000 in savings and just went and got his free degree and started out. He was older in his classes, but I'm sure he's the only one with 60 grand in his bank account getting a free degree at the same time. So just so many good benefits to the military. Something else I like to tell young guys who are guys and girls who are thinking about entering is do a little bit of homework. And that little bit of homework is finding at least one person in each service to talk to that's not a recruiter. Recruiters are great. They have a, a very important role to fill in terms of our all-volunteer force. But, you know, as we talk about a lot of things in life, right, like know, know everyone's biases, right? So go find somebody that is not a recruiter in all four or five services that you're considering and just talk to them about what they do on a day-to-day basis. Brandon, advice to a young person. Obviously, this is part of what you do professionally, but what do you tell them when they come looking to you for information about service? Yeah, same thing to echo what Dan Stevens said. Do your research, you know, kind of look into it. I would, I would make sure that they really think about it and join for the right reasons. You know, same thing, you know, anytime I'm talking to someone who wants to become a financial advisor, I tell them the same thing. I'm like, why do you want to be a financial advisor? or a financial planner. And if it's, if their answer is to help someone, then I say, okay, I'll, I'll help you all day long. If it's to make money, I'm like, go somewhere else. Do another job. You can, you can make money somewhere else. So, so making sure that their intentions to join the military are, are true and correct, but then to echo the amount of benefits, the amount of job training, the amount of experience you get. I, I think a lot of young people don't think that far. And even, even three years of service, even three years of service in the reserves or the national guard, sets you so far ahead of your peers. And especially in an environment now where jobs are becoming more competitive, employers are looking for differentiators, if you will. They're looking for separation and jobs are getting competitive. And that, that, that those three years of military service could mean getting a job or not. And then the amount of experience that you get along with that at a young age, I think it's really critical. And if you're a young physician in training and you get that flyer in the mail and start thinking, hmm, it'd be nice not to have medical school loans, is it the right thing to do? I think if they truly have a, you know, a desire to serve, I say go for it. The money shouldn't be the only reason. It can be part of the reason, but it shouldn't be the only reason because once they're in, they're in. You know, it's the contract that can't be broken. But I always tell students, you know, go for it. It's amazing how fast the time goes. The amount of opportunities and experiences you get are like nothing else. You can travel the world, educational opportunities. So I say go for it. So this has been a special Veterans Day episode of Earn and Invest, as opposed to thanking you for your service, which I think you hear over and over again. I would just say thank you for doing hard things that benefit people other than yourselves. In this world we live in today, it's so easy to be self-centered. And what you all have done is given many years of your lives 
to do something difficult that benefits not only me, but the rest of this country. And that's meaningful. And it's important. And only do we survive as a society and a community when we have members who are willing to do such things. So thank you so much for doing that. Happy Veterans Day. And before we end, I just wanted to give each of you a chance to tell us what's up next in your life and where can we find you if we want to know more information. Dan, why don't you start us off? If people want to get in touch with you, is there an easy way to do that? And what's coming up in your life? Yeah, thanks, Doc. Again, I'd say the easiest way to get in touch with me is I do have a small blog that's just more of a hobby. It's just called keepinvestingsimplestupid.com. So you can email me there if you have any questions about the military. I do have some military-specific information on there, and I just love helping point people in the right direction. So what's up next for me is in the next year, right now, literally planning my transition to the reserves and sending in that paperwork. So I plan on just going to the reserves and working toward becoming a financial planner. That's it. Steven, tell us what's up next in your life. And if people want to get in touch with you, certainly if you want to stay anonymous, they can always reach you through our Facebook group. That's facebook.com slash groups slash earn and invest. Steven, what's going on? Yeah. Uh, if you want to get a hold of me, you can uh, always reach me at Stephen, S-T-E-P-H-E-N at choosify.com. And I, you know, there are amazing resources out there for military people. We talked just really briefly on that. And so I want to highlight Doug Nordman. I want to highlight Airman Mill Dollar and all of those people, Rich Carey, who are putting together this material for our military. And we have done some of that as well. You know, if you need some, some education, kind of like where to get started, you can always find uh, the stuff that we've built. Chooseify.com slash FI101 is a class that uh, will kind of walk you through some of that stuff. You can find me there. And that's what I'm working on for the next year or so is building out a lot more of that material. Brandon, what's up next in your life and where can we find you? So I've, I've built a pretty good life up until this point. So, uh, but continuing to build my business on the, on the financial planning side, my goal is to help people who want help building a great financial plan. I do have a website out there, brandonbettis.com. Pretty simple, uh, fee-based planner that looking to help as much people as, as possible. On the military side, I'm also on LinkedIn and Veterati. Uh, Veterati is a mentorship site where transitioning service members can, can receive mentorship. Dan and I actually have been in talks and we're going to be talking further after this for that mentorship side, but I, I'm, I'm out there on social media. So if anyone needs to reach out for any reason, I'm always available. Thank and you, Doc. Yeah, you are welcome. And Anne, if people want to get in touch with you, how can they and what's going on in your life? So I'm still practicing. I've actually, in the last year, I've scaled down a little bit, so I don't work full-time anymore. But otherwise, it's just day-to-day grinding medicine out as usual, just like I did in the, the military. But, you know, I'm pretty active on the finance boards and social media as it's kind of like my side interest. If anybody wants to get in touch with me, they can reach out to me in the Earn Invest community. And Schachter is my name on the Facebook group. And uh, I'd be happy to uh, chat with anybody about military medicine or anything finance. This has been the Earn and Invest podcast. On behalf of myself, Doc G, I wanted to wish everybody a good Veterans Day, especially those who are currently serving or have served in the past. That's a wrap.
Once again, I wanted to say a happy Veterans Day to everybody. I thought this episode was important for two key reasons. One is, again, to thank our veterans for all they have done for our country, but also take another chance to look at the military as an option for young people who are not sure what to do with their lives. As I had mentioned in the intro to this episode, really growing up, the military wasn't something I thought about. It wasn't something I knew much about, and I certainly didn't know anyone in the military. Having been part of this financial independence and personal finance community, I now know many military members. And hands down, they have all found it to be a very beneficial path to personal finance and financial independence. Most of them have found that the benefits, the pension, health care, the retirement savings, all of those things can be used in such a positive way to build your financial future. Besides the fact you're also doing something that's utterly important for our country and you feel like you're making a difference. So the military is probably not the road for everyone, but if you've ever considered it, I'll tell you this, the people in this community, our community, make me want to embrace it as a career opportunity for young people more than ever. Thanks again, and we'll see you next episode. Perfect. Thank you guys so much. I just wanted a chance to talk to you guys about what all this means and give this a little bit of color and interest so that on Veterans Day, as opposed to just ignoring it or putting on an episode about something else, I just wanted to talk about, I think, this time. That is, whether it feels right or not, it's certainly celebrating what you guys mean to us. Um, and I've become more and more aware over the years of how much that actually means. And uh, so for me, it's been a transformation. I've been lucky enough to start to know people who work in the military. And it's really profoundly changed the way I think about days like this. Oh, thanks, thanks. Doc. Hey, thanks, Doc. That, that means a lot. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.